0: And it all began um, a long, long time ago. I was um, in the late 70s. I was a, um, a kid, a high schooler, and just turned college student. And I was at a junior college in Salem, and my father was a big dog. Uh, he, His name even at the camp was Honcho. At, I'm referring to Camp Tadmore. And uh, Honcho... Um, you know, everybody's like, hey, that's kind of a cool name. I go, I've been living with that name my whole life. <laughs> uh, but it's, it was wonderful because yesterday, um, Tadmore celebrated 50 years, right? 50 years of ministry. And um, I'm a pastor today. I cut my teeth in ministry at Camp Tadmore. And if you're not a Tadmorite, if you have never been there, you need to really put that in your bucket list and go and um, experience God in a profound way. And um, along with that, I want to give a shout out. Uh, Dan Ladd, who's, stand up, Dan. This is my cousin who's going to resist me, as he's always done. <laughs> so he can grow a beard and I can't. So sit down, Dan. Uh, but No, no, no. <laughs> we can't hear you. You're not mic'd. Where's the carrot? Shout out to mom. Mom watches every Sunday. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I was sitting next to Steve in the college group and a gal walked through the door and he leans over and says, I'm gonna marry that woman. And who was that woman? I don't what was her name? Debbie, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> 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 We've had this for sixty plus years and it's been it's been great. It's been great. Dan, it's such a privilege to have you here, and Aunt Patty, good to see you, and Debbie, it was you. It was you, I promise. So, um, so we love to laugh. If you're taking notes about what, it's, what this church is all about, you just saw that we this wasn't staged. This is just we're being real. This is life. We like to laugh. We get real serious about serious things, and then we laugh about other things. So enjoy yourself. Welcome to Grace Point, especially you who are online. And, um, you know, I just got to tell you quickly, um, I got an email early this morning from someone that hasn't been at Grace Point for a while. And I just reached out recently and said, you know, I I really love you, and um, I haven't seen you or your husband and your family uh, in a while. And I'm assuming COVID, and part of the answer was yes, but they've been traveling overseas to see a, a sick family member. And, um, they said we watch every Sunday live stream since we started all of this, and um, I love you guys, and um, they're going to be back soon. She, she wrote to tell me that her reason for going to the Philippines was to be with her um, sister in failing health, and she passed early this morning, so um, be, be praying for the heirs' family. That's, uh, they, they need our prayers, so... Um, So, one of my favorite gospel moments involved a distressed dad. I guess I connect already with it because I'm a dad and it doesn't take much to tip me over or distress me as a dad. But it involved this distressed dad who came to Jesus with a desperate plea for his tormented son. You could read this with your own Bible, but. Just listen if you're not turned to actually Mark chapter 9. It's told by three of the four gospel writers, and my Bible's open to Mark's telling of this. But see if you don't connect with this story in a very kind of quick and personal way. Verse 17 of Mark 9, a man in the crowd came to Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. It's just a, just a graphic, grueling scene. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has the, the, your son been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. I feel that father's anguish. I'm around people like that. And, and plan to stop reading this, but it's a moving moment. If you really connect with it. If you could do anything. Help. If you can said Jesus, everything is possible to one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again got to hear the tone of his words, full of authority. The spirit shrieked and convulsed the son wildly, violently, and then came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples said, what's with that? It's private now. And they said, Jesus, why couldn't we drive the demon out? And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Um, this moment, I, I'm so drawn to it because it's so messy and raw. It's not clean and neat. It's messy. If you can do anything... Show me your hand if you've ever prayed an anguished prayer like that. I have. God, if you, I know the theological answer. If you want it in Greek, I'll give it to you in Greek. But I know my soul sometimes cries out and says, how come? Is there a hold up here? Take pity on us. I'm drawn into that because it's real life. And, and I'm also drawn into the fact that in the very next verse, it's corrective. Jesus says, if you can, of course I can. And I know the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I get it. But in the moment of the emotion, Jesus cuts through it and says, I, if you can, of course, of course I can. Uh, and, and, and then the man, this father's anguished response, okay, You said you can do all the things for those who believe. So I do believe, Lord. But I have doubts. So help my unbelief. Are you riveted now like I am? It's like, have you ever been there? Sure you have. Maybe it's real time for you right now. Where you you or someone you love is actually going through the ringer. Life couldn't be harder. And it makes this exchange we just read exceedingly real. Um, I believe that this story really happened. I don't think this is made up by a gospel writer. I think it really happened, and you believe that too. Um, I also know that there are stories that haven't turned out This way. The son wasn't healed. The demon from all appearances. Or the circumstance. Or the health. It it didn't go away. It didn't get fixed. Now I know there's hardly a whisper. And I get that. I just want to be on the edge of um, real. When we talk about my title in the passage that's in front of us in Acts chapter 9 today. Um, I uh, believe in miracles. And I think you do too. But I also want to be very honest and say I'm also present when miracles sometimes don't happen. I I don't want to upset anybody. And if you're young in the Lord, please understand something. This is not a God. We're not going to read about a God that's somehow capricious and arbitrary. Yep, you get one. Nope, you don't. Not that. We sometimes... Experience in life moments that we don't have an explanation for. Either way, I love the times when I haven't had an explanation for a healed person. I'll just live with it. (laughs) Give me two scoops. I don't care. I just love it. But I've also been there enough times where, like this son we just read about, he didn't get better. He might have actually drowned or burned in the fire. Okay, so um, my question to you is: When it turns out that way, what have you concluded? Trying to get you in touch with maybe some of the things in your life that are uh, maybe they're not like rock solid, but they're, they're 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 moments that you tend to default to when a miracle doesn't happen, and maybe you say to yourself, God, you know, he used to do such things, but not so much now. There's plenty in the Bible that says he did. Um, well, perhaps that's the answer you're living with today. But I'm, I'm going to be bold enough to believe that there's something bigger and better um, as an explanation. After all, after all, the Bible in both the Old Testament and New Testament, speaks in concert. It's a matching statement I want to read to you about God's purposes and the fact that God's purposes, if you want to put that those two words next to each other on your note sheet, do that. God's purposes. Okay, The Bible says, Old and New Testament, that God's purposes are higher purposes than mine. Did you know that? Isaiah 55 is one of them. That's from the Old Testament. Verses 8 and 9 that read this way. Isaiah is recording the words of God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Most of us get that up here. But not wanting you and me to miss his point. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth where we live, and we just know, let's just guess, we don't know how far that is, but it's a long ways, right? He's using, it's his analogy. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and it goes further than that, my thoughts than your thoughts. He's not trying to squash you like a, an, a red ant that deserves to die. It, he's not doing that. He's trying to say, look, I am different. My thoughts, my ways, they are mine. And they too are different than the way we we tend to operate. And then go to the New Testament. I said there were matching statements. Romans 11, the Apostle Paul is arguably the brightest apostle that ever lived astounding maybe the new testament equal of solomon's wisdom he, he had great insight great grasp of truth and he concludes this way after writing this very involved statement about the jews being cut off and the gentiles being grafted in but if the gentiles don't watch it they're going to get cut off too and the jews are going to be grafted back in and it goes like that and you go, and you get the feeling when you read it that paul's going huh ah. And then finally comes to this, oh, how great are God's riches, rich wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who has known the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him counsel? I've given him counsel, (laughs) but he probably laughed like you just did, right? (laughs) Like, okay, Steve. So today in our series from Acts, all of this is a sort of a ramp into the study. Uh, This series that I've titled In Step with the Spirit, uh, we're going to witness two miracles, a heads up, and they will likely leave us, if my guess is correct, longing for more we're going to read two they're very quick back to back but I think we're going to be like Habakkuk the prophet of old who said this and I want you to write this down or circle it at the bottom in your notes uh, because Habakkuk 3 verse 2 Habakkuk needs to be one of your favorite prophets if he's not already because he spoke to God for the people okay most prophets in fact all the rest spoke to the people for God but Habakkuk stands out for a lot of reasons, and one of them, he was fairly bald because he scratched all the hair off his head going, I don't get this, God. I've got this problem in my world, and you're going to fix it how? Okay? So he says in chapter 3, so one, two, three. there's only three chapters, and he says this in verse 2, I've heard all about you. By the way, he's not talking. It's actually a song. So apparently he had a voice, okay? I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe at your amazing works. In this time of deep need, and it was huge, help us again as you did in years gone by. Is that a great song? I'm going to ask Krista when she gets back, or maybe Kelly today, just come up with a, a melody for that and we'll sing it. No pressure. My sermon will be done in 20 minutes. <laughs> no. I've heard all about you, Lord. Most of us have. We would say the same. I've heard a lot about God. I'm filled, as we, we are in worship and in moments where we say, wow, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. I'm filled with awe at your amazing works. And we live in a time of deep need. We sing a song around here in, in a time of desperation. We get that, and Habakkuk ends, help us then, God, um, as you did in the past. So we left off last week as the Holy Spirit took to the task of turning Saul of Tarsus, the self-ascribed worst of sinners, 1 Timothy 1, he confesses that, into Paul, I'm going to say the greatest apostle. God had rolled up his sleeves, if you will, and he said, Saul, I got a lot of work to do in you. And he got after it. And that's where we left off last time. In verse 31 of chapter 9, now I've skipped forward to Acts, and we're in a verse-by-verse study throughout this book. Look at verse 31, and it's so full of good stuff. I want you to see it with your own eyes, not just hear me say it. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Think the entire nation, okay? Judea, Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Galilee, clear up to the north, almost the north border of Israel. And Samaria, about halfway in between those two. He's saying this in these words in verse 31. Then church throughout those regions of Israel enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. Okay? So I just got to say that's a statement and a half. And I'm just going to put it personal. It's a a statement every pastor and most people in churches would love to happen today. Right? I mean, look, look at a season of peace and renewed strength for the saints. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? I want that, a season of peace. We have peace in here. We need more peace and renewed strength among us. Not just a, a crestfallen weariness, but life. And then a spirit of holy fear, verse 31 says, as people focus, not surprisingly, on the Lord. They're like Moses who approaches the mountain and he's told, hey, take your sandals off. This place is holy. What a great impact statement. And then the very next piece of it is there's this surge that happened in the midst of the people. And this growth that was seeded, we're told, in verse 31, by the Holy Spirit. You can't make this stuff up. It's not the power of a personality or people. This is the Holy Spirit saying, man, there's this, ah, we're happy to be together. Look at God move among us. There's cool things happening. So next, Luke resumes the play-by-play that he left off way back a number of chapters of um, the travels and the touches of Peter. So Saul's occupied a lot of our attention in recent chapters, and we come to these words in verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda, There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat, and immediately Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Miracle number one, a paraplegic man walks again. That's a newspaper headline, okay? That's not just big news today. That's big news any day. This man couldn't walk. They probably remember the injury. We're not told what it was, but for eight years, he's a man, which means there was a life before his accident that laid him low and confined him Um, to a very limited mobility. That's a hard place to be for almost a decade, we're told. And did you notice, as I read that, with words only, Peter points to the source of the miracle that was about to take place, Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ heals you, probably pointing down to him because he would be on his mat. Um, it, It should be said... In our cult-consumed um, world, where we, we make little gods out of athletes and musicians, I almost said magicians, <laughs> uh, musicians, even some politicians. We look at them and just go, oh, you know. Um, that Peter has no secret sauce. Peter, in this moment or other moments like it, uh, back in Acts chapter 3, um, he heals a man, and, and, and the man f- falls at his feet and starts to worship him. He goes, I'll no, no, knock it off. I'm Pete. I'm no big deal. I got no God name next to me. I'm not a, I'm a human. I know the one true God. I walk with Jesus, but I'm no big deal. I got no secret sauce, and I got no magic touch. He's saying the same thing here. That's why he says to make very clear in invoking the name Jesus Christ. He does this again in chapter 10. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Uh, Verses 25 and 26. But anyway, Luke's a physician. You probably knew that. And he's the writer of not only Acts, but the gospel bearing his name. And he uses a word to clarify this miracle. He says, immediately... Aeneas got up. Do you see the word immediately? That means he didn't sort of get better, but have to see his physical therapist for the next couple of years in hopes it'll begin to kind of sit up more frequently and then eventually stand on weak legs, et cetera, et cetera. He's using that word on purpose to say, in this moment, that's the right word, he, he stopped being a paraplegic and he was healed completely whole right now do you know somebody that needs that kind of touch today i do which quite expectantly when he rolled up his mat uh His miracle, now visible to all, was talked about by all. We're actually told that all the people in that town, Lida, and do you see the word Sharon? Sharon's not actually a city, Sharon's a region. It's a a coastal plain that goes from Tel Aviv, think Ben Gurion Airport. We've been there, some of us, 42 of us, we're in in and out of that airport. Sharon begins at that airport, third terminal. No, I'm just kidding you. But anyway, he's, it begins there, and it goes up 50 miles to another rather historic location with a very prominent figure. His name's Elijah, who had a showdown with the prophets of Baal, and God won, <laughs> right? So that's Sharon. That 50, it's probably 10 miles wide. That stretch of land is as far as this news traveled. Everybody in that region was talking about what happened to that guy named Aeneas. But I don't want you to miss how verse thirty-five ends because it's everything. They did what? They turned to the Lord. You see that? They saw him, they they knew what he was before, and as a result, they turned to the Lord. Oh, so, so good. Uh, we'll return to this moment in just, uh, just a bit, but for now, I want to, the, as the narrative shifts abruptly, um, to a, a dramatic scene at the same time that's unfolding 12 miles away on the coast, and it's we go from, from, uh, from Lydda to Joppa. Look at verse 36. In Joppa, 12 miles away, kind of west and slightly north on the Mediterranean. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. I like that name, but in parentheses, my Bible says, in Greek, her name is Dorcas. So why are you laughing? I, was trying, I meant to ask my wife, is that a name in five, uh, Seven Brides for Seven? Was one of them Dorcas? Could have been. None of you watch what we watch. So anyway, um, anyway, in Joppa, there was this disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upper room. Lydda was near Joppa, 12 miles away. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. The exclamation tells you the motion of this request. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the, to the room. And all the widows stood around Peter, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet then he called for the believers especially the widows and presented her to them alive this became known all over jopa and many people believed in the lord miracle number 2 a dead woman lives again We're told a couple of things about her that are are worth talking about. First of all, notice that, that Tabitha was a Jesus lover. It begins by defining her, describing her as a disciple. She is a disciple, a close follower of Jesus, who was known around town for her benevolent ways and practical kindnesses, we're told, toward the poor. She had a big heart. She served a lot of people. She was, we could say, of her, I think accurately, selfless. Uh, when the Bible, I'm used to this when people are uh, talking about a, um, a, a person that has passed. They will say oftentimes how this little description began. Um, it, it says she was always doing good. I'll bet she had a bad day, but you get the idea, right? Um. I, I speak of that way about people that I've loved and lost. They were just always, they were amazing. They were, you know, on and on. But, but I don't think this is embellished. I think she was really a woman of distinguished benevolence um, and kindness. And here's the deal. Let me ask you about the Tabitha-type people you know. Because I know you know them. In fact, I was tempted to name names here today, right here in Grace Point. Some of you watching, but you know what? That would that would miss the point entirely. Um, they 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 don't do it for that. Such people like Tabitha show us that our kindness in Jesus' name isn't without impact. Will you remember that? You might really knock yourself out. You might, you know, just just. Labor long and hard to care for people, even self-sacrificially, and it's not without impact. You're, you're living out First John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Listen to these words. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, brothers and sisters. If anyone, what's that look like? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, we do something. We, we respond to that need. We have pity on them. The question is asked, so then, if you see the need and don't do anything, how does the love of God exist in you? And then he finishes in verse 18, John does. Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. Meaning, let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it indeed and in truth. And the the really great thing about a statement like that is this church is huge. We are loaded is the term today. And 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 loaded with, I don't mean people with a lot of money or people high on marijuana. I'm talking about we are loaded with Tabitha type people. I'm so proud of you. I'm so impressed by you. I'm, I'm not kidding you. What would you say if I told you that I didn't have a shower for four days this last week? Some of you went. I saw one guy go, whoa. <laughs> you know, well, it was true. It was true. Our hot water heater died an early death. Way early. They're supposed to last more than like seven years, right? Yeah. So uh, we, it, I went across the country looking for the part, the missing part. Finally, I said in exasperation to a man in Franklin, Tennessee, because I know, I asked him, where are you from? And he said, that part does not exist in Oregon. like, there's a lot of stuff that's no longer existing in Oregon, but I didn't expect it. (laughs) And he says, "Uh, but we have 34 of those here in Franklin. I said, I'm moving today. I'm coming to... No. So, so they have them there. And I said, well, I need that part here. And I need it, like, fast. And he says, well, it's warrantied. That's the good news. The bad news is, if you want it fast, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to spare you the details. But I'm like, for real? So really, it's not warrantied. Because you're going to hose me for 56 bucks to bring that to the West Coast. And he said, yes, y- yes, sir. I'm, I'm very sorry, sir. And I went, okay, send it. Send it, please. All that to tell you, I don't know how to fix this part. I don't know how to put a gas valve on. In fact, at one point I said, I'm just going to take this back to the store I bought it, the whole water heater, and just drop it in the lobby and get my money back. He goes, "Uh, uh, sir, uh, I wouldn't recommend that. It's not a returnable part. (laughs) He doesn't know me. I will return that. But anyway, I called somebody a Tabitha in our church. And he came, he says, I'll be there the moment you call. When that part arrives, I'll be there. And by the way, I did take, it's a whole other story, but mm-hmm. Debbie l- approached this as a, um, um, oh, what's that called? A little house on the prairie opportunity. <laughs> an adventure, if you will. So we have an hot and we took, like two quarts, that's the max of the InstaHot, and then you mix it with water, and then, you get, and then you go to the shower and use this washcloth and then this washcloth. And Anyway, I've said way too much. You don't need to know <laughs> anything more. But I eventually started laughing as I was taking my... It's not a shower. You can't call that a shower, but anyway. Um, so what am I saying here? Um, Tabitha. Amazing lady, lots of people here, like her, amazing. You live that way. But here's the deal. She got sick and died. And verse 37 is revealing they were doing what you do in that culture. They quickly washed her and prepared her for burial, which makes verse 38 more than shocking and we read it already, but now that I've given it that label, look at these words. Um, verse, verse 38, um, she has just died, verse 37, so Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Folks, don't forget, she's dead, right? We've been told that in verse 38. or 37, and verse 40, she's gone. But when Peter arrived, he was led to where she lay, and after clearing the room of mourners, he prayed, and we're told she instantly revived. And I gotta tell you, verse 41, I really badly want, wished I could have been present for verse 41. Because he calls these Mostly widows, but I would have snuck in anyway. And it calls them back into the room. And I, I, I could just take in the image of him taking her by the hand, calling them, including me, especially the widows, and presenting her to them alive. And don't miss this in verse 42. As with Aeneas and Lydda, so too with Tabitha's recovery. The news could not be contained. Verse 42, it became known all over the place, and many people, what? Believed in the Lord. Um, Okay, the connection of these two miracles is clear. In both instances, people face great human calamities, paralysis, and death. Those are two of the worst. Um, both are clearly recipients of miracles, right? With me? And in both cases, God leveraged, listen to my words, these miracles to advance his agenda. You hopefully are asking, and what is that, Pastor? What is his agenda when it comes to miracles? Well, here it is. You probably memorize these words too, as I did long ago. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You ask God, what's your agenda? What's the biggest deal to you? That's it, 1 Timothy 2, 4. But Peter wanted a little piece of that too. And in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, God is not slow about his promised return, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He desires, what's the word all mean? Anybody outside of all here in this room today? Anybody you know outside of that word? He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's God saying a a single message, a single sentence to all. And then... He's he's not slow about his promises as some count slowness but patient toward you not wishing for the words anyone. Is there anybody outside anyone in this room? No. I'm not being cute. I'm just trying to plead with us. He wants all to be saved and come to his son Jesus. So I want to Take the balance of our time to be very, very current, okay, about miracles. In the words of my chosen title for this message, there can be miracles. Now, some of you know that as uh, a line out of a song, lyrics from a song uh, from the Prince of Egypt, a movie in 1998. Um, I really love the movie, but that's not why I chose it. I chose it to represent the fact um, that it captures a reality that we shouldn't and cannot deny. Will you write this reality down about these miracles and any miracle you are asking God to do? This is the, you've got it, we've got, we cannot deny this, and we, we, we mustn't. Um, sometimes miracles happen. And sometimes, they don't. I um, spent some time interviewing God this week. I just that's how I felt my my time with Him was an interview. And in my in my interview of God, I um, I asked him the question, why do do you sometimes do miracles and other times don't? I prayed for a lot more miracles than I've seen happen. So I asked him, how do you think he answered? It's a rhetorical question. Maybe you need to ask it, too, this week, and I hope you do, actually, even today. Uh, I've been pondering that question in preparation for this moment in my message. Philip Yancey has stated what seems apparent, I quote, When it comes to miracles, Jesus had a different set of priorities than most of his followers. End quote. Even if I'm not applying that to you, it applies to me. He has a different set of miracles, a different set of priorities than me. Not all the time, but there are moments when I wanted a miracle and it didn't happen. Yancey goes on to point out, The feeding of the 5,000 illustrates why Jesus, with all the supernatural powers at his command showed such ambivalence toward miracles. They attracted crowds. We're told 5,000 men plus women and children. They attracted crowds and applause. Yes, but rarely encouraged repentance and long-term faith. That gets my attention. Um. So to the interview question, why did you do some miracles, God, but not always? I imagine him having several responses, and I wrote them down for you. I think he might begin with this. I was moved by someone's suffering. Why did I do a miracle there? I was moved by someone's suffering. He would then likely point out examples. He could talk about the the widow, she was without a husband, who just lost her only son in uh, Luke chapter 7. And in that terrible scene, she's obviously brokenhearted, and he rises from the dead, this son of hers. Why? Because I was moved by what I saw in this dear widow. Um, Childless mom's grief. He might even actually go to the blind man. We're not sure who he is. He's just the blind man. In his story is told in John 9. He's been blind his whole life. And he, and he hears people go, Oh, look at that. I don't, I've done that around blind people. I've taught classes where there's a blind woman that sits in the front row. And I go, What do you think of. Verse uh, 21, can you imagine, what do you think of, can you see what's being, and she's like, I'm blind, and I, she wasn't mean, she was just sharing Pastor. I don't, I don't see a thing you're seeing. So, that might have been part of his answer, I saw people hurting, and then here's another response I imagined him to give, it touches me to help people who are hungry or lost, would undoubtedly point to the biggest example of that, um, his people, the Israelites, um, during their slavery in Egypt for a very long time, Exodus chapter 2, he, he was moved, if you read Exodus 2, look at the last verse and you'll see God was moved in his heart to do something for, for these people, his people. And, and he would probably mention um, the, the, the the son's reaction his his own son's reaction. remember when it says he went about villages and cities and everywhere touching and healing and performing miracles because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. they were lost and it And it says he was grieved in his spirit. Jesus was. He might point that out. But I'm guessing he would also add, my biggest interest in miracles is to see people repent of their sin and receive eternal life and escape from the devil and the darkness that awaits all people who reject my son. Um, Now let me go back to my imagined um, answers when I interviewed God. The fact is, and listen carefully, hungry people can eat a miraculous meal yet hunger again in just a day or two. Think about that. Uh, Sick people can be miraculously cured, but fall ill again and eventually die. And and paralyzed people can, as we read of Aeneas, miraculously walk again, but life's going to, gravity's going to eventually see to it you your horizontal and don't get up again. However, as both of these miracles illustrates, when spiritually lost people are found, that's, the, that's why everybody loves Luke 15 and the prodigal son so much. When lost people are found and spiritually dead people are born again, read John 3 if you need more evidence of that. Then. Then his greatest pleasure in miracles is realized. Can I remind you and have you circle it if you haven't already? Verses 35 and 42, which is everything in this, these twin miracles. When, when I healed Aeneas, God would say, and raised Tabitha from the dead, look at verse 35 and 42 because they confirm. For you and me, my greatest purpose has been achieved. Has it been achieved in your life? I want you to bow right now, and I'm going to invite the worship team to reset. And um, we're going to invite you to do something today because I think we have prayed to this end. We believe that God wants to move, not someday, not subtly, not eventually, but now, that God wants to do miracles. And I'm not sure what miracle you hunger for him to do, but the Bible, if it's established anything through the story of Aeneas... And Tabitha, two people will meet someday, but I've never never known them. That that their healing, that their raising resulted in God's greatest achievement of all to give life to spiritually dead people. And people did. They responded. His greatest purpose, may I remind you, is that all would be saved, and none would perish, if you're not rock solid about your relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to start with that miracle and believe that God wants to change that today so that all refers to all the people in this room or watching live stream now, will leave this moment alive in Christ, born again. From darkness to light, from death to life, and secure for all of eternity. Let me leave you with one more thought, because you see pillows down here in the front, and you at home, we don't want you to be left out. In this moment, we're going to ask God to do some powerful things, to heal, to accomplish something that can't be humanly done. It might be you right here, right now. It, it might be somebody you love that's not with you at home or in this house, and you're, you're saying, God, please, I want to see you move. Do a miracle. Do it, do it in a way that the results are the same. They're healed, they're helped, but ultimately they have what you've described twice here. They've, they've turned to you. They've surrendered to you. They've submitted to you. They've said, not my way, but thine be done. So we're going to sing. And we're going to take time. And if you feel led, I want to invite you. We're going to be standing. We're going to invite you out of your row and come on down at home. Be on your knees. Cry out to God. Go in a private room or place. Say, God, I need this. I'm asking for you to be the miracle worker. Have your way in these moments. And Holy Spirit, we now come to a moment where the truth has been presented. We pray that you would do the work deep in our hearts to bring about the results that you desire for the ultimate and eternal glory of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's respond in faith today. Amen. Mm-hmm.